oh, you can't ask me that because of where I used to work. <laughs> um, Welcome to an episode of Roadmap, a podcast for aspiring product managers that wish to break into the industry. I'm Thomas Chu, a student at Cal Berkeley and your host. Today we have Josh Twist with us, who was a product lead at Facebook and Stripe and now the founder of his own company, Zuplo. Um, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I think the name of your podcast, Roadmap, is awesome for a product-related <laughs> podcast. It's very clever. Great. Um, just as a start, can you give our audience a brief introduction of yourself and your background? Yeah. So as Thomas said, my name is Josh. Um, I uh, originally from the UK, as people may pick up from my accent, though it's quite Americanized now. Um, and I start, where do I start? Let's start with what I studied since we have a student audience. Um, I studied physics at a college called Imperial in London. Um, and I did that because I was good at it and I didn't know what I wanted to do, is the honest truth. I didn't really imagine a career in academia, and it uh, turns out that wasn't where I was going to go anyway. Um, on leaving college, actually, I remember it. I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And my college actually asked me, because I had some design skills and some coding skills, they actually asked me to build a website for them. So that was sort of my first job. I just did it in my last summer and had a blast doing it. And that led to my first job with a, a smallish, there's about 50 people, startup in London. Um, that built HR software. So that was my first role. I was there for about four years. Um, and then, I, you know, a bunch of engineering roles ended up moving into consulting. Um, so I was a consultant, which is awesome experience because you kind of get to taste, you know, what customers want, what it's like to be at the coal face of, of B2B products meeting their customers. And you just get to meet a lot, you know, you get to do a lot of different projects quickly. So that was kind of interesting. Um, and then I was hired by Microsoft in the UK to work in their consultancy practice. Did that for a little while before I decided, you know, uh, if I can be brutally honest, you know, I was working, as I said, working with customers and seeing the pain often of them adopting these Microsoft products. And so perhaps a little arrogant, but I thought, you know what, I think I can do better. So I decided to make the leap and join the mothership and go and work on product at Microsoft. And that was when I moved to Redmond, which is just outside of Seattle, which is where I live right now. Um, and so worked on a ton of stuff at Microsoft as a product manager, had an absolute blast there, a really fun time as there for five years, I think. And you just quickly run through some of the things I got to do, founded a product called Azure Mobile Services, which was a, a backend as a service, we call it, a sort of developer tool, um, acquired a company called Epiphany to form Azure API management, um, led the integration portfolio, so lots of technical products are like Microsoft Logic Apps and Microsoft Flow, now called Power Automate. Um, then I was invited to go over to Facebook, um, and I'm going to be really honest with everybody here and sort of tell you what that felt like. Um, I sort of, I'd done five years at Microsoft. My career was like a, a, a rocket ship, was going very well. I thought I was this finished package of a product manager, you know, the People are just going to learn from me. I'm going to go over and show those Facebook guys how it's done and or Facebook folks rather. And um, yeah, that couldn't have been further from the truth. I honestly was, it was intimidating joining Facebook, the level of talent there. Um, and I learned so much about product management at Facebook. I, I, I came in what I would say a novice compared to the people I met at that company. Um, so that was great. Did that for five years, two roles there. I led Facebook analytics for about three years and then um uh, led Facebook Music, which was a big change for me because I'd always worked in B2B and technical products on Facebook Music. Um, that was a consumer product. And that is that is quite a change to make. Absolutely fascinating. You know, one of the projects I led was a, uh, called Lasso, which was an initiative to get into short form video. So things like TikTok and so on. So, you know, going from building for developers to trying to get inside the mind of teens was, uh, it was just awesome learning experience. Really learned a lot. Um, and then uh, early this year, I joined Stripe. Um, and then I didn't stay at Stripe very long for reasons I suspect we'll get into in a minute when you ask why I decided to start my own company. But, um, uh, you know, Stripe's an amazing company I've been looking at for a long time. When it comes to developer experiences, they set the bar a long time for how to build a great product for developers. And so I'd been a fan from like 2013, probably. 
Uh, probably should have joined back then. <laughs> uh, but um, but yeah, no, got to lucky to lucky to get a role at Stripe. I mean, it's not an easy place to land a job. Um, but decided to leave in June, and then I founded. Sorry, in July when I founded um, Zuplo, which is uh, what we're calling the programmable API gateway. And so I've been working on that for the last couple of months. Very great. That's great. Um, so I came across your LinkedIn post one day, and I was like, "Wow, you know, I can't believe this guy is leaving one of the hottest uh, companies in Silicon Valley, and he's mm-hmm. leaving a lot of money on the table, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, then I got to know that he had something to do with your family, among us, um, other stuff. So can you tell us a bit more about your thought process back then, and what are some of the stuff you're doing at Zuplo right now? So, so the decision, yeah, the post you mentioned was where I sort of came out about leaving Stripe and mentioning starting Zuplo. Um, it's tricky. Well, why would you leave Stripe, such an amazing company? Um, and still is. I still think that of the of the place. Uh, but actually, well, sadly, not to bring the tone down, but my mom died suddenly in um, in January, and she was young. You know, she was only twenty or twenty one when she had me, and you know that makes you question your life a lot uh, when something like that happens. You know, you maybe I've only got twenty years left. What? Am I prioritizing correctly? There's nothing like a bit of a crisis or a bit of pressure to force you to do some aggressive prioritization. And I'd wanted to start my own business for a long time. It was actually, I'll combine that though with another thing which happened last year, which was when I was working in consumer at Facebook, um, I wasn't working with developers day in, day out. And then like all former engineers during the pandemic, I got bored and started writing code again for fun. You know, you have nothing to do, we're in lockdown. And I was kind of stunned. I felt like the API space hadn't moved forward as much as I would have hoped. Like in my mind, in 2021, I needed to create an API backend for my game I was going to build that I could so I could play cards with my family back in the UK. And it should be as easy as creating a Google document to create an API today. File new API, type some code, and it should be live. And I, I don't, that isn't the experience. And so I instantly knew then that, you know, there's a gap here and it's still here and it's been here all this time. And so either I am a little deranged and I'm seeing a gap where there isn't one um, or there's a good opportunity here and we should move on it. So I'd been noodling on that for a little while, just in the, the back of my mind. But then with what happened with mom, making me question my priorities, what do I want to be doing with my life? And I know I wanted to take a run at my my own business and, putting a dent in the API verse, if you will. And so decided, you know, I ran it by my, who's now my co-founder, one of my best friends, Nathan Totten, and it resonated with him, what we were talking about. And so, you know, after much deliberation, it was not an easy decision. I was, I was in sort of a little dark place after mom died for a little while. I'm grateful to Stripe for sort of giving me time to work through that. But yeah, I decided to start my own business. Um, so to answer the second part of your question, what is Zuplo? Um, we started meeting with customers right away. Um, you know, I think we're going to talk about product. If there's one thing I think is the most important thing about product, it is getting to know and really have great empathy for customers, not inventing in a vacuum. So we started talking to customers and just feeling out their API pain, um, what was working, what wasn't. And we came across this kind of common scenario and this common pain point for developers. I knew I wanted to build a product for developers. It's just what I love it's an audience I love working with. I share their passion. Um, and I think one of the great things I learned at Facebook, even working in consumer, is the power of removing friction from a process. Like it's insane. Like if you make something just a little bit easier, it's insane how much that can, can exponentially grow the usage or adoption of your product. And so I know that's true for developers. Um, I'm close friends with the founders of Auth0, which is a, a tech company that does identity that I think did is perhaps one of the the best examples of products that were designed like this. Um, and um, so, yeah, we knew we wanted to build an API product that was going to be very easy to use. And we found we found these developers that were solving problems called API gateway problems, where you put a thin API in front of another API to shape the API to look a little differently or to add security and authentication. And it, it just struck us that none of these products were well-designed for developers. They're kind of designed for IT pros that we had a good opportunity to build a product that would delight them, that they would love to use, and that they will help us sell into the CIO or CTO or the person who is the buying decision maker at big companies. And so we've started on that, been working on it a couple of months, and we're just right now actually in the process of raising our seed round. Um, it's going well. Uh, people seem very excited about what we're showing them, both 
developers and investors want to get their hands on it. And so I think we'll be opening up for sort of self-service people within within a month or so, hopefully. That's great. That's great. Um, can, can you share a bit more about your um, experience raising money from, from investors? I, mean, I imagine that's very different from what you, you, you're used to. Uh, yes, it is. It is. And I, you know, it's hard to answer that generally. I think we're in a very crazy market right now where valuations of early stage companies are very high. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, we didn't really plan on raising money. We, we were going to bootstrap for a long time. Um, but two things happened. One is after that post that you saw on LinkedIn that led to us doing this podcast, it turns out a lot of people forwarded that to investors. And, you know, the, our um, credentials, if you will, like the fact we've worked at these companies and so on, like Nate's got a great background as well, meant that we got a lot of interest. People just started reaching out to us. So we've been inundated with interest from investors. It's actually become a, a huge time sink. <laughs> uh, it's a good for, it's a like good problem to have, don't get me wrong, but it's I've not really got any work done for two weeks other than talk to investors. Um, the other was we, we started to feel the pull. So as we showed people the product, they wanted it. They were excited about it. And so we wanted to go faster. And so we realized we're actually limiting the company now by bootstrapping and not hiring more people and not taking on capital to allow us to grow faster. So both the pull and the the fact uh, it was very easy to find investors. For us in this market, we were very lucky. Um, it was fairly easy to get going. Um, yeah, it's been fun pitching to them, presenting them the product. A lot of people get it. We've been lucky that we found a good match with investors. This is one thing I'm learning is that if you find investors that understand your space, grok what you're trying to do, align with your product philosophy, um, then you're going to have an easier time. And we've been lucky to find a good set of those. I also mentioned we're friends with the Auth0 founders. You know, they just exited to Okta, so they perhaps have some disposable income that they are willing to invest in a company like ours. And, you know, they, they also, uh, they like Nate and I, Nate was an early employee at Zero, So we have some good angels and we have some big VCs who are interested in getting, getting into this with us. And so, yeah, it's gone really well. It's been a learning curve though. I like nomenclature, like, you know, X on Y post money, pre money. Uh, I didn't really know much of this stuff before getting into it, but I'm, I'm learning fast. And that's the best thing uh, for me. If this goes nowhere and let's be honest, most startups don't, most startups fail. Um, I, I am open to that. I'm fighting hard to make it not the outcome, but I knew it was going to be another amazing learning experience. And like, if that's all I get out of it, that's more than enough. You know, that's uh, that, that'll be just reward. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, so I guess taking a step back here, uh, what are some of the similarities and differences between being a product manager and a startup founder? What aspect uh, of it just fit right in for you? And what other aspects that kind of just uh, call you off guard? Hmm. I think that's a great question, you know. Um, it reminds me of a common saying that I've never agreed with, uh, but I don't know if that's it. I'll, I'll say anyway. So there's this saying that, you know, as a product manager, you're the CEO of your product. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm, I'm, the, I'm the CEO of Zuplo. I mean, for whatever that's worth, Nate and I are both like doing everything right now, you know, from, you know, whatever it takes where it's very much a mixed, a mixed, like it's just the two of us making this thing happen. Um, but I've never agreed with the idea that as a product manager, employed to a company, you are the CEO. And the main reason for that is it implies that you have some sort of outright authority, like a CEO ultimately sort of has quite a lot of, a lot of power. Um, not to suggest, I feel like I have outright authority in my tiny company now, but, but, you know, it's very different being a product manager at a, at a big company where that isn't true. Um, and in fact, if anything, you are the hub in the middle of a lot of spokes and you need to be a great peacemaker. You need to be very empathic. And really be good at persuading the whole team around to come with you because uh, all those folks you're working with from your engineering team, your design team, depending on the culture of the company, will are, are equally as powerful in, in quotes as you are. And um, so I've always sort of derided that idea that you're the CEO. Now, that might sound like I think I have this some sort of ultimate power in my new role. And that's not really what I, I mean to imply. I guess the only other surprise, it actually feels a lot like products before in terms of I'm thinking about strategy, I'm thinking about go to market, um, I'm helping hire. Uh, there's a lot of overlap in, in many ways. The fundraising is different. The, 
the the biggest difference, honestly, is um, how to put it. It's like I've worked at a number of companies in product now, and some are more scaffolded and top down in their structure, and some are more bottoms up and entrepreneurial in how they expect product managers to be. One example is I, I think Microsoft has changed a lot. I've not worked there for six years, so you know you have to caveat that. But Microsoft was traditionally a little bit more of a top-down company. Direction would come from VPs and there was a, it was less entrepreneurial. Facebook, certainly when I started, was very entrepreneurial. You got very little direction from above. They, they kind of came to you and said, well, you've got these 50 engineers. What are you going to do with them? To, you know, what, what, what are you up to? So the difference there is the, the degree of freedom is actually quite frightening at first. You know, uh, there's a lot of comfort in executing on someone else's plan. And when you go to somewhere like Facebook and you're suddenly expected to be much more entrepreneurial, that can be a little scary. Not everyone's cut out for those waters. But at least I'm talking to these seasoned, super power brain, super people like who, who lead the organizations there, like people like I'll name drop, like Vijay Raji, uh, huge inspiration. He just did his own startup, actually. Um, Fiji Simo, uh, Chris Cox, like these folks, you know, uh, just great leaders. And so running an idea by them, if you get their buy-in, you feel super confident um, because they're excited about it too. Um, um, uh, even Zuck, you know, I got to present to him and he bought in on an idea and funded a team. And, and you know, that was scary, but, uh, but it felt great that, you know, Zuck seems to buy it. So awesome. Um, but then when you're doing it on your own, maybe I am just completely, you know, crazy. <laughs> maybe this is madness. So you have to have a lot of conviction to really take that leap. That's probably the biggest difference is you really are out alone, um, carving your own path. And uh, that's like being stranded in the ocean. Uh, or as I think Elon says, doing a startup is like stirring into the abyss chewing glass. Um, I don't, it's not been that rough yet, but uh, I kind of like the same. Right. Um, so so you, you mentioned that you're working on, you know, within a team of two right now. Um, so how did you guys divide the task? Because sometimes, you know, when, when, you know, you have a great idea, you're like, where do we even start? <laughs> well, what do we do? You know, I didn't actually, I know Nate very well. He's been a friend of mine for a very long time. We met, um, I think, 11 years ago, 10 years ago when I went at Microsoft. And we, I didn't actually know exactly how we divide the work. We both knew we would be doing everything. We both knew we'd be coding again. Um, and it's kind of fallen out naturally. You know, we found each other's strengths and weaknesses. Um, uh, I can, I used to be a, a designer as well a long time ago. So I've naturally ended up building all the front end and doing all the design work and building the decks and, uh, Nate slipped more towards the back end. He's shown tremendous talent for that and building optimization. Um, uh, partially because of the CEO title, I've naturally been the, the, place most of the investors have reached out to. So I've been handling that side a little bit more though Nate's been very involved. Um, it's kind of fell out organically. And I think that's another thing is, you know, if you've worked at big co, uh, like a super big company, you might be used to the world being very organized and very process centric. Uh, certainly Microsoft was more like that, it was more, um, there was kind of a machine you were part of. Um, and then Facebook more in the early days, I was there, you know, was, was very chaotic. Um, and I love that. I actually kind of embrace that kind of work. Um, and so, you know, the, where the difference was, uh, I'm at Facebook, rarely were things specced even, you know, like the idea was all in a small team's head and we were executing. So, you know, if someone joined and came and said, is there a, a document for this feature? It's like, <laughs> you must be new here <laughs> because there probably wasn't. Um, and it, it works very well, actually. Um, um, it's actually a very efficient way of operating. And when you're, when you're working on newish products, you're in this theater of total uncertainty. And so process is there to kind of prevent you from, you know, making mistakes. And when you're, when you're working on, I mostly worked on new ideas and new products at Facebook. When you're in that theater, you, you know, you, you can kind of make little mistakes um, around product ideas and so on. And that's kind of important because that's how you learn. So it's very much encouraged. So that set me up for going to the startup world where it is abs. I mean, honestly, if someone came and looked at what our day looked like, they, they, it looks crazy because it's just two of us, but that's, uh, I'm confident that's the way it works. Um, and I like, I like the battle analogy. I mean, I don't really like using wartime analogies, but I'm, uh, if you'll forgive me this once, you know, I, I genuinely believe certainly in the startup world or in the new product venture playing new ideas, you, you don't want to look like the army on parade, you know, all neatly organized and like that's just showing off. 
you can't, it should feel like you're the army in battle. That's kind of how wars are won and battles are won. And that's going to be chaos, right? And so you have to have um, a strong stomach and be ready to embrace that, not, not be worried by it. So being comfortable with an immense degree of ambiguity is important. And honestly, I built a lot of muscle on that working at Facebook. They really taught me how to do that well. Or, well, at least I think I do it better than I started um, and uh, learned a lot of that there. Awesome. Um, so it's, it's been about a month since you posted that article. Mm -hmm. um, so how's everything going? Do you have any regrets or do you think you made the right decision? Oh, no regrets so far. <laughs> That's um, good. Yeah, none at all. Uh, we're really enjoying it. Um, we're finding it very fulfilling. Um, you know, there, if you, whatever lens you look through it, there's like frustrating things all the time. I wish we were going faster. Um, I wish raising money wasn't so time consuming, but no, it's, it's going great so far. I, the, the response to what we're doing has been amazing. Um, we just, we just closed our first customer that'll actually be going live in the next couple of weeks. And they've really taken a big bet on us. Actually, They're, we're going to be doing a billion API requests a month wow. by, by probably the end of October, um, which is kind of insane for a startup. Right. So, um, so yeah, it's going very well so far. I'm sh I know, I know there's going to be bumps in the road. You know, everyone I've spoken to tells me, you know, we'll have an outage and I'm going to have to, you know, deal with that, that make sure that customer is good. And you will have, there's going to be problems. I'm not going to, not going to deny those things are going to happen to us. That happens to all tech companies and all startups, but uh, so far it's been awesome. I don't know regrets at all. Yeah. That's great to hear. Um, any last thoughts for aspiring founders out there? before we move on to the second part? Um, you know, there is, uh, there is actually, I think, <laughs> I think uh, not that I ever felt, ever felt disrespected by folks. I, I had a great time at all the companies I've worked for. Um, but there were times, you know, there's times when you're negotiating about a product and you're like, am I actually good at this? Can I actually do this? Is this, you know, is this sort of, you know, imposter syndrome, I guess is the idea. And um if you're sat there thinking, I would like to try doing a startup, but I, you know, I, I'm not sure it's going to work. I'm actually not sure. I, I don't seem to agree with how this person thinks about the world or that person. It, you might be perfect for it. You might really be carved out to try this. Like one of the things I've noticed as I meet with other entrepreneurs and other founders is they all have a different take. There is no model to follow um, they've all felt that sense of like absolute imposter syndrome as they got started and just wish they'd taken the leap earlier. And I'm certainly kind of feeling that way right now, honestly, you know, it's like, why did I wait so long? This is, this is a ton of fun. Um, so that'd be my, um, that'd be my, my hint is if you're sort of dabbling on, on the edge, you're thinking of throwing yourself off the cliff, you know, uh, I think it's kind of interesting to back yourself into a corner and see what you can do. Um, so that's what we've done. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, so moving into the second part, uh, which is about, you know, career and interview specific stuff. Um, so the first, first question would be, you know, there are so many verticals even within the tech industry. So how do aspiring product managers break into the space uh, without much professional expertise? So, you know, like average people are more familiar with the 2C apps like Facebook and Instagram, but spaces like um, FinTech or PropTech seem to require more research, right? So should students figure out what verticals they like first, or should they just kind of practice the general skill that applies to all verticals? It's a good question. Um, I, I have some sort of strong opinions here. So I would caveat that this is just one opinion for folks out there that are listening. Hopefully you're listening to lots of sources of information. Um, first of all, I think it is important to work on in an area that you're excited about and that you're interested in your passion and energy is a force multiplier. When you work in a space that actually excites you, that actually interests you. Um, and you know, uh, let's say for example, I really don't want to pick on Stripe, but it's just, you mentioned FinTech. Let's say Stripe is a company pretty much anyone would want to work for, you know, phenomenal company, famed execution. But if you're really not interested in the payment space, I wouldn't recommend it. You're just not going to be as effective. You're not going to be as good as you can be. Um, and so, you know, if you're not, if you're not into the domain, I would think twice about making a, a leap like that. 
On the other side, the good news is certainly most modern companies would much prefer you to have a general sense of product skill and product sense versus specific domain knowledge. Um, Stripe being the other example, the Stripe Active, you know, they, 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 when they recruited me, I, I said the same thing. I, I don't, I, and I didn't know anything. I don't know anything about payments. And they kind of embraced that. Um, and a lot, I think some of the more forward thinking modern companies, especially for hiring grads um, in, uh, into product management, uh, are going to be open minded um, and recognize that you're going to have to learn the domain skills on the job with them. And many of them actually liked, even though I, I'm much further along in my career when I joined a company like that, right? So I could have learned payments. Um, I think some of the more forward thinking companies like Stripe actually kind of like having people who don't know the space because it means when you come in, you question all the assumptions, you question all the requirements and bring a fresh perspective. And that's arguably in some ways more important. Now, you will be expected to learn that domain quickly. So, you know, you're going to have to have a voracious appetite for learning payments. That is a complex space, honestly. Um, uh, so, you know, you're going to have to get into that. And so if you have an interest in the domain, that's going to make it much easier. But um, I would focus on probably learning a, a more general set of product skills to keep your options open. Um, you might want to think about whether you're more interested, in, like, not verticals, I think there's two big, Two big niches in product, the consumer-facing product and the business-facing product spaces are quite different. You might want to think about which is more exciting for you. I have some thoughts on those as well if we want to get into that. But um, uh, I would I would think about that a little more first than specifically, do I want to go and work in fintech? If that's your life's calling, great, go for it. Um, but if you're not sure, you know, I, I'd, I'd focus a little bit more generally. Yeah, I, I would love to dive into that because... I think for most people, you know, we're just naturally more familiar with the 2C side of things because, you know, we use it every day and, you know, I kind of understand it, I guess. Yep. But yep. 2B is like, you know, it's just something running in the back end. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I like it. I don't know how it works. Um, so how do you really discover your passion or kind of get to know some of the things that you're not that familiar with? Um, well, I mean, to, to really know it, you're going to have to try it. I've been lucky to do both in my career, and I have no regrets that I got to sample both. Um, in fact, the time I spent in consumer at Facebook is really helping me out now as I build Zoopla because I'm so focused on experience and psychology. And, you know, I spent a lot of time do, doing armchair psychology, I guess, at Facebook, but um, uh, thinking about users in a, re in a really, really deep way. Um, but first of all, let me sort of describe what I think the biggest difference is between the two spaces. And again, this is Josh's opinion, not a matter of record. Um, uh, for me, one of the biggest differences in the B2B world, people's motivations and intentions when adopting a product are much clearer. It's easier to understand why someone's going to hire Zuplo to do a job for them. If you're familiar with the jobs to be done framework, it's a sort of thing that's talked about quite a bit at Facebook. You know, they, they want to save money. They want to save time. It usually comes down to some sort of financial gain, frankly. Like we want to, you know, we want to make money or save money or be more effective at marketing. It all comes down to dollars. So, so understanding the motives and building strategy around that in the B2B world, to me, is much clearer. Whereas in the consumer world, uh, my most, uh, I'll, I'll go far out and say, nobody has any idea what's going to work. Like nobody knows what's going to work. Nobody knew TikTok when it started out as this little karaoke app could evolve into this phenom that that, that, that thing is. I mean, it's bigger than YouTube now. I, I just heard the other day. Um, and, you know, you, if you can imagine the original pitch, if, if one of us had tried to pitch that to somebody inside Facebook, we have these 15 second videos, they loop, it's going to be people singing, you know, we'd have looked like, again, we just wouldn't have been well received, I don't think. <laughs> um, and so in that world, companies that are effective in the consumer world are very good at moving very quickly and experimenting. Because in the reality, it's like strategy is, is weak compared to execution in that world, right? Because it's hard to know what's going to work. Strategy is kind of a bit mythical. Um, we're very good at pulling it apart post-mortem. We're very good at like looking at TikTok 
uh, in the past and saying, hey, this is why we think it's working. This is why we think it's going on, but very difficult to do it in terms of future prediction. And so you take someone like Facebook, like what they're great at, they're a very data, I'd call them a data-led company. They're a data-oriented, data science is critical there. Um, they're very good at running experiments. They're very good at putting an idea out and they move so fast in terms of testing and iterating. And ultimately the things that speak to product manager at Facebook is behavior, you know, not theories. Yeah, we have hypotheses, we generate them, but we also accept that they're kind of cheap and that the key thing is to move through them very quickly. The B2B world is different. You can't move quite as fast because business customers don't like that, um, particularly if you're an API company like Stripe. You know, Stripe, Stripe moves with a lot of urgency. So a lot of things happen very quickly, but they can't actually ship new products every day because you'd be breaking your customers. Um, and so strategy is actually very important at a company like Stripe. They spend a lot of time having sort of academic, intellectual, theoretical discussions because that's the theater where they can test ideas. Whereas Facebook has a superpower in the, in the consumer world, you can test them on real people. But understanding the actual motivations that people are going for is harder. So I think those are the two biggest differences. Um, if you're lucky enough to get to work in both, I think that's a very fortunate thing to try and will make you a better product person as a result. But um, uh, typically people kind of like one or the other. And I think ultimately I really enjoyed all the experimentation and learning about psychology, but I do like the more direct sense in the B2B world of like, hey, I know what these folks want and I can we can have a very direct conversation. Uh, example, I can talk to a business customer and go, why do you like this solution versus that one? And usually we'll have a very structured bullet point led discussion. If I go and talk to a casual user of YouTube versus Facebook, uh, none of us, I'm not sort of poking fun at what a, a, casual, a casual user. I, you know, as a product manager that works in this space, I'm not good at really understanding what truly in my brain is motivating me to spend a lot of time on this thing, right? I don't think any of us are. Like the type one brain thinks it's in control. Oh, I forget the nomenclature, but there's this idea of like the inner brain that really drives our decision-making and this cognitive thinking brain. You know, the cognitive part, thinks it knows what's going on, but it, it's clearly it doesn't. Um, and so behavior, seeing, watching what people do is kind of the true measure. So that's the, two, the difference between the two spaces, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a solid point. So, so you mentioned, you know, different companies and, you know, Microsoft, Facebook and Stripe are, you know, arguably top five of the most popular companies among, you know, students. So mm -hmm. in terms of recruiting or interviewing, what are, what are, um, it, let's say let's assume they have a preferred type of person uh how would you describe for each of those companies oh that is a good question um I, I have to caveat i think microsoft's probably changed a lot in the last seven years you know satch has done a phenomenal job with the company and sort of making it more a more modern product company i would say so um i'm not sure I could give a really good perspective on Microsoft recruiting today. I honestly, I think in general, uh, learn like reading the, 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 the interviewing books is key. You know, the, I've forgotten the main one, cracking the PM interview. I'm sure you've talked about that before. Um, uh, even I've read that again before, even though I've been doing this for a long time, I usually scan it before an interview and make sure I'm crossing the T's and dotting the I's. Um, for Stripe versus Facebook, I think one of the key things between those two companies, like Stripe is, again, I talked about it's kind of uh, does a lot of strategy work. They are, uh, this is a founders down thing. So the Collison brothers that founded the company, absolute phenoms, um, uh, those folks, um, but they're prolific readers. Um, Patrick has this, he has a website. If you haven't seen it, I think it's patrickcollison.com. And it just has a list of books he's read. Um, it's very long. <laughs> and so they're really into reading and writing. They're very much like they're, they're obsessed with like quality writing and, and reading and this, these kind of sort of academic discussions. It's great. It's, it's very, very interesting. And it was one of the reasons I went there actually because I wanted to develop that skill more. Um, uh, so I think that would be an important thing, like your ability to communicate articulately in writing, your ability to process a lot of information is going to be a superpower and strike. That's probably a bit less so at Facebook. Frankly, like I kind of mentioned, actually, some of in some of the product teams I worked on at Facebook, we didn't always have a lot of documentation about like how a feature would work. It was very much more done through collaboration and um, and uh, discussion and iteration because that's it. We knew the thing was going to change so quickly; it was barely worth writing it down. And so, um, for Facebook, I think you're going to be tested much more on understanding of things like experimentation. 
and data science because your ability to measure and understand people's behavior is going to be more important, frankly, than I think, than your ability to strategize, certainly early in your career. Um, as you get into the higher echelons of Facebook, then strategy is obviously becoming more important. But yeah, I think that's the, the biggest few differences. Microsoft, um, when I was there, it was a little bit, I'd say it's more top-down, a bit more structured than both companies. Um, and the other thing with Microsoft is there's a bigger emphasis on execution. So I think it's still the case that product managers at Microsoft are called program managers, not, not product managers. Now, it is the same role, but actually, uh, in my experience, the program management role at Microsoft contained a little bit more of what, what Facebook and um, Stripe call a TPM or a technical uh, program manager. They kind of blended the roles. So there's a bigger emphasis on your ability to block and tackle on your ability to, to sort of build a machine and build that locomotion to, to get a team to execute. Not to say it's not important at Facebook and Stripe, it is like you need to do that, but often you'll have support from TPMs who are really, you know, I'm actually the TPMs at Stripe and uh, Facebook are insanely talented. And I, I am not good at that stuff, frankly. I'm, I'm, uh, it's not my strongest area. So I'm very grateful to work with them um, at both companies. Um, but that, those are, I think that's the, the way I'd cast the three companies roughly from a key differences. Awesome. That's very informative. Um, so assuming you're, you know, interviewing someone, whether it's at Zuplo or Facebook or Stripe, uh, what, if you have to name three traits that you're looking for, uh, what would those traits be? Um, Josh, personally, um, I have a big emphasis on sort of finding people with the, the right kind of can-do attitude who are a positive influence in the team. So that's always a, a bar I apply. Like, is this person going to come in? Are they going to energize the team? Um, uh, beyond that, um, for those companies, I mean, look, I mentioned this idea about is the product manager the CEO, and I, I don't think that's true. Um, the, the, the side effect of that is that you really need to be kind of good at influencing people and persuading them because you're going to be responsible I never think of a product manager as being the owner of the vision or the product. You're the person responsible for the team as a collective to get to a vision and to a definition of the product. Um, and so really, when you think about what are the powers that are, that are important to do that, what are the superpowers? It's being good at influence. You have to be good at vision as well. Uh, perhaps a bit less so when you enter in your career, you'll get coached on vision more typically. Um, but you need to be good at influence. You need to be a great listener. You need to be empathic. Um, you need to demonstrate like passion for the, for the customer, I think is a thing that people are going to want to see. Um, a good peacemaker. I'm listing many here, but you know, that's going to be a critical skill when you have five people and you're trying to get them to go in one direction and two are pulling out. Like how good are your skills of bringing those two folks on board? Uh, what are the techniques you're going to use um, to do that? Um, and to get everybody aligned and going in the same direction. And that's when teams win. When, you know, when the team is aligned and people aren't questioning every step, that's when teams execute really well and they, they crush their goals. Um, and the PM is kind of the person who's there to try and set that up. So I'd pick those things. Awesome. Um, so what are some things that people tend to do well naturally, if there's any, um, you know, for, for new product managers? um that they tend to do well naturally you mean everybody does that everybody's good at or yeah like the majority of people like show up and they kind of you know tend to do well in those things that's a tricky question i don't know if i don't know if i i don't know if i buy the premise i wonder <laughs> i i think think i see you know i i don't actually yeah so if i can disagree with the question if that's okay <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure uh yeah, I, I, honestly, I, I see a mix. I see some people who are phenomenal across the board. I see some people who struggle with the influence part, which is very important, but are amazing at execution and getting a team running and running the rhythm of the business. Um, those folks, they, they might be good at the entry level, but then struggle to get promoted through the company because that just becomes more and more important as you go up. I see some folks who just have a great product instinct um, uh, if I can name drop here, there's a, a lady called Jacqueline Wolf who worked on my team at Facebook. Um, and 
uh, she just sort of got it instantly. You know, what is the challenges this product is going to face? She just had great product sense, like a real natural instinct. Not everybody's like that. Um, um, and some people just have other skills. So I see, I see sort of, you've seen the spider graph, the, the, those spider graph, the five pointed charts. I see all forms of shape of product manager uh, on all dimensions. I, I don't see patterns where people tend to be good at one thing. Yeah. What about on the flip side? Uh, is there any common mistakes that people would tend to make in the early days? Um, yeah, I, I mean, this is, I think, building without really understanding the customer, I think, is, you know, building that customer empathy. Like we, we you kind of implied this, Thomas, when you said before, so we all use these consumer products, so mm -hmm. we kind of think we know it. And uh that sounds like me when i arrived into facebook going i know how this works you know and um uh it couldn't have been further from the truth i that, i think that's a super common mistake uh you know you 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 think because you are have seen and used that you understand trust me the folks that have worked on this stuff have often gone so deep in terms of the layers and layers of understanding like what's going on inside a product that your mind would be blown. Uh, that's a super common mistake. And so, and so just building for yourself. Um, and sometimes that's a good thing. You know, I know YC talk about that a lot, build for yourself. Um, that, I think that might be true if you're a founder and you have this like passion call, but if you're joining another company and you're being told build, you're going to go and work on this problem. And it's not an area where you would be the a type customer, you know, um, then that's not a good idea. That's a, that's a pretty, uh, a pretty common mistake. Um, also not realizing that your job is, um, this alignment idea that you are the person like not, you're not the owner, you are responsible for getting the group to a great decision. Um, and so you have some accountability to make sure the decision is great. It's no good if you get the group to a bad decision. That's obviously a failure, uh, state, um, but sometimes see folks come in and, you know, think they are the CEO and try and sort of bull in a China shop the way through a situation. I've seen plenty of um, uh, crashes like that. Sweet. Uh, wrapping up the second part here. Um, so, you know, you've worked at Microsoft, you know, and OG in the, in the tech industry then <laughs> Facebook, relatively young, but, but still, you know, pretty big. And then yep. pre-IPO, now at Zuplo. Um, so, you know, you've, you've got the experience of working at different size of, you know, different size companies. Um, so mm -hmm. for, for students who are about to graduate who are, or who are choosing um, where they want for their uh, internships, uh, would you recommend them taking a chance at small startups or big companies like Facebook or Google to get that initial training? It's a good question. Um... I don't, I, I wouldn't sort of dictate a specific answer to this. I think it depends a little bit. Um, certainly, if possible, I would target um, a company that seems more forward thinking. Um, you know, as companies reach a certain size, like very, very large, like hundreds of thousands of employees, the very nature of them um, tends to make them a little bit more politicized in terms of how they operate. And the product conversations can be, I'm trying to be diplomatic here, uh, the product conversations can be a little bit more about how do you please the executive versus actually build the right product, frankly. So there's definitely something to be said for smaller, earlier companies um, where I think that's less the case. Um, if the goal of the person, like let's say they want to be an entrepreneur, like their goal is they want to do their own startup at some point, then I would encourage you to get as close to that world as you can. Um, go and, you know, first of all, it will give you the understanding and the confidence that you can do it too, because you've seen it. Uh, that was something I liked. I'd never really worked at, apart from that one job in London, um, I'd never really worked at a very, very small company. Um, so if your goal is to do that, then I, you know, get as close to what you really want to do. Like, what is, what is your goal for your career? If you are excited about being an exec at an enormous company, then you probably want to go and work at an enormous company. They'll treat you, you know, they'll teach you the skills to, to do that. Um, if you want to found your own company, you know, get in there and work with a smaller company. So that's, that's sort of how I think about it. Like, what do you, what do you want to work on? Great. So one additional question would be, you know, you've, you know, jumps between companies. How do you know when to do that? Because sometimes you're there, you're comfortable, and now you know you you don't really want to leave. I guess. 
I think, you, well, for me, you just said the word that was the clue. And that's when you're comfortable. Um, and so when I decided to leave Microsoft, a lot of people thought I was, you know, I was, I was making a very bad decision because my career was going so well. I was getting promoted very quickly. To some degree, I think that's a little bit of a trap because then I might be stuck there forever because I, I mentioned I learned a very different set of skills when I went to Facebook. Um, so as soon as you start to feel comfortable, as soon as you start to feel this is kind of easy, the question I asked me when I leaving Microsoft was really hard uh, is, am I just good at Microsoft was what I wondered. Like, have I just learned how this system works and um, gotten good at that? And sure enough, it turned out, uh, yes, I had. And that's a bad state to be in. You know, like I really believe in the idea of growth mindset. And so the minute you start to feel comfortable, you need to back yourself into a different corner and put yourself in some deep water. And so, you know, I think at Facebook, I'd start, start to feel a little bit like that. And I changed around. And so I leapt into Stripe and, you know, then for very different reasons, I decided I was going to do my own thing. But um, I certainly wasn't comfortable at Stripe yet, anything. But like that is a that is a fire hose of a company to join. Like it's very intense. It's very uh, high pressure, which is what I wanted. You know, I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn this new heavily written reading culture. I, I was very targeted in terms of the type of company I wanted to work at next, where I think I felt I would find the next like big chapter of like unlocking my growth. Um, even in my advanced years, I still think there's plenty of growth for all of us to, to open up. So yeah, when you're comfortable, it's time to start thinking about why. So I'm uh, moving into the last part of the episode. Um, do you have any recommendations for aspiring product managers? And this can be for, you know, product specific stuff or just personal entertainment. Um, so for aspiring product managers, the question is like, what would I recommend you do? These are folks who haven't started their, their jobs yet. They're in their students. Um, you know, I, I think a ferocious appetite for consuming information from the space is the number one, is the number one thing there. We're so lucky. There's just so much information and so much community out there around, around products. So consume ferociously, I would say everything, you know, from, reading and I, you know, I'll drop some books for you, but I, I'm not convinced books are actually the best place. I think, I, I, I think getting, finding the right cohorts of Twitter and um, other online communities and just keeping up with the, the product news, um, finding communities you can join where you can sort of discuss product ideas, um, just ferociously take part. And it's, it's funny. It's because it's not, Sadly, product management hasn't become an academic subject yet. You know, you can't, at least I'm not aware that you can go to college for product management. This, this should become a thing at some point because the lessons are common. But as you, as you learn the skills of product management, it's not as obvious what you've learned. You can't remember, what, did you go to PM 101 or, you know, what class you went to? Where did you learn this particular practice? It hasn't really structured itself that way yet. But um, I forget how much I've been fortunate to learn. And so now, actually, when I've been meeting with investors now, um, just a couple of examples. I say these things which seem obvious to me. And, you know, like the other day, having a conversation uh, with an investor and we started, uh, he started to, what I was saying really resonated with him. He had the same product philosophy. And, you know, that's almost a chapter that I've just learned by just being out there and reading and listening and learning and listening, you know, hopefully people listening to your podcast, I guess the people listening to this are, um, but this is a good example, like getting out there listening so that you start to pick up on these clues and these patterns and these, these indices, which you can ingrain into you. So it becomes kind of part of your, you remember that non-cognitive thinking brain that we talked about before? Um, and it helps you kind of make those decisions. It just seems instinctive. So you just gotta, you just gotta consume a lot of information because it's not a structured space yet. Awesome. Uh, next up is the lightning round where I ask the same question to everyone. <laughs> um, what's your favorite consumer facing product? Oh, you can't ask me that because of where I used to work. <laughs> um, it's got to be TikTok. Sorry. Great. Um, what's one of your short-term or long-term goals? Uh, long-term goal is I would like to retire and become a ski instructor. <laughs> That's great. Um, what gets you excited these days? What gets me excited? You know, there's so much to be excited about. Um, 
Uh, we're at this like wonderful time, like, you know, uh, and I, I honestly think things are going to get better. We have this, this really bad habit of looking back and thinking that times are bad when, yeah, there's lots of bad stuff going on and we're in the middle of a global pandemic, but just lots of amazing stuff going on um, from product development. You know, I, I recently went plant-based um, and I only eat plant-based foods now, found it very easy, even though I used to be practically a carnivore. Um, and I see so much innovation in that space, like from doing that a year and a half ago to the type of foods I'm eating now, it's like, it's, it's great. Like, you know, uh, that, that's a fantastic, uh, innovation. I think about, um, what's happening in terms of AI and the automation world. And I think people are looking at this in a very negative light, but I personally am very positive about the impact that's going to have on humanity in general. Um, uh, everything from self-driving cars to Tesla robots, um, yes, there's plenty to be frightened of, but that's been true with every great step humanity has taken, like through the industrial age, people were afraid that that would have a negative impact on jobs and so on. And maybe there'll be some pain in the short term, but long term, I think it's for the good. Elon's taking us to Mars. You know, I, yeah, I'm excited about everything. Uh, there's just there's so humanity's ability. The Internet's caused lots of problems um, and Facebook's felt that by being a pioneer there, no doubt about it. But really, when you think about what it's done, is it's turned us into like almost one singularity of like collaboration and thought. And we could be more efficient, but I think it's just driving this insane level of progress. And we're, we, we should feel really privileged to be alive at this time, you know, as long as you've got your health, which I know is a thing right now. But um, yeah, I'm excited about all of the things. <laughs> That's great. You're getting me excited now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one last question. What mediocre superpower do you wish to have? What mediocre superpower? <laughs> I'm really allergic to certain animals like guinea pigs. And so I don't know about a superpower, but I have like this. <laughs> I, I think like guinea pigs are my kryptonite. So, you know, if I was a superhero, the way someone would take me down is they'd be throwing guinea pigs at me. Um, maybe my mediocre superpower would be not to be allergic to, to, to these animals. <laughs> Great. <laughs> That's very specific. <laughs> um, that will be the end of the episode. Uh, before you sign off, where can our listeners connect with you on the internet? Yeah, so uh, uh, you can connect with me at uh, Josh Twist on Twitter. Um, you can follow the company at Zuplo, Z-U-P-L-O. Um, and, you know, my email is open. You can hit me at josh at molmorg.com. That's my personal address. Actually, let's use the Zuplo, josh at zuplo.com. Um, I'll try and respond. Depends how much email I get. But um, um, yeah, thanks for having me, Thomas. I've had a real blast chatting with you. Awesome. For the ones listening, thank you so much for tuning in. The books and resources mentioned in the episode will be attached in the show notes on the landing page. Feel free to check it out, subscribe, or leave a comment so that I can improve and produce better content for you. All right, listeners, thank you so much. See you next time.